in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful we can gather in this January day and have our hearts warmed with the reality of who you really are. The God who sees us and is with us and calls us further up and further in in him. And we pray that as we look at this marvelous passage that you would take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It was about 2007, 2008 in December, and our family went, there was a tree lot that used to be on 83, where there now is a storage unit place. And we went there to get our Christmas trees, and we'd only been here about a year, two, but my boys had caught Buckeye fever. And so, if you remember, and some of you would sit near Kim back in those days, just for the entertainment of Daniel and Ben. Because they couldn't keep their hands off each other. Even though they were five years apart, they were completely male. And they would just go in wrestling holds and half Nelsons in the middle of the service all the time. Kim, there's a, there's a special place in glory for that woman. And so we went to this Christmas tree lot that particular December evening. It was frigid and cold and beautiful, wonderful Christmas. And the carols are bursting out of the loudspeakers at the shack there. And those two are just tackling each other among the Christmas trees. And she's going crazy. And I said, they're boys. As long as they don't hurt each other or anybody else or, the, or property, they're fine. And so we're looking at all these trees. And they're darting in and out. And I look at the tree. And I look at the salesman. I go, that's a beautiful tree. Where do you get your trees? And he said, we get our trees in Michigan. <laughs> and just at that moment, Daniel skirts up behind me and goes, Michigan? Nothing good comes from Michigan. <laughs> and Ben tackles him right there. I go, stop it. We'll take the tree. You know, <laughs> just to get out of there, you know. Well, friends, we're going to see in a wonderful way Nathaniel go from skepticism to surprise to confession of faith in this wonderful passage that's before us as God reveals himself that good things come, even from Michigan. And congratulations, all you Wolverine fans, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was coming. Um, uh, as we see these wonderful passages. So John sets the stage for us. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, beginning with verse 43, where he calls a new disciple named Philip. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Jesus takes the initiative, coming to Philip, with a very simple command, follow me. Literally in the Greek, Greek keep on following me. And Philip did. In the following verses, we see immediate, incendiary results in Philip's life. He had a burning desire to share the good news. Once a, Lord, a torch is lit, it lights another torch. So Philip went forth to share the gospel with his friend Nathaniel. 
So verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Philip was excited. The words must have tumbled out of his mouth. Nathaniel had not heard about Jesus, but he knew his Old Testament. He knew that Bethlehem was named as the birthplace of the Savior. And uh, not Nazareth. And besides, Nazareth was just four miles from Cana, which is where Nathaniel was from. So there's a rivalry between Cana right, and Nazareth. And so he obviously comes out with this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip gave him the best and only possible answer, come and see. We need, brothers and sisters, to make that response when we're tempted to argue. Come and see for yourself. And the ensuing encounter between Jesus and Nathaniel reveals the spiritual reality that were already at work in Nathaniel's life and many of our neighbors' lives where they live and where we live, work, and play. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he utters some marvelous words as we see, number one, first point, the vision of God. He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Well, Jesus emphasized that Nathaniel is a transparent and honest man. That is probably why Nathaniel reacted to Philip's news by saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what he actually thought. I think that characteristic is confirmed by Nathaniel's reaction to Jesus saying, how do you know me? If Jesus had said to me, behold, a believer in whom there's no guile, I would say, you guys are kidding me, right? Uh, you talking to me? But Nathaniel just owned up to it. He was, in fact, a person without any deceit. He put deliberate emphasis on that word because this whole text is an allusion to Genesis 28 and Jacob. Jacob was Israel, was full of deceit. He's a scoundrel who loved God, and God worked in his life until finally after wrestling with God, Jacob was renamed Israel. So Jesus is saying that Nathanael was an ideal Israelite because deceit had gone out of his life. Temple's translation of this text is translated, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. <laughs> Nathaniel was evidently an Old Testament believer like Simeon and Anna who was waiting for Messiah, looking for God. And the Lord knew Nathaniel's character before he met him, so he knew he was out without deceit. Well, how could he know? Because he's Fully God. So here in verse 48, we see the vision of God. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? 
Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This is one of the great cryptic statements of the New Testament, and for centuries, scholars have debated, good, biblical, honest scholars have debated what the fig tree represents. Exactly what it represents is not all that terribly important, but we'll consider it a fig tree, a literal fig tree. And what is important is that Nathaniel had an experience that no one but God knew about under some kind of fig tree. And the point is, Nathan, is that Jesus is saying to him, I know, Nathaniel, you had an experience that you only shared with God because I see you. Nathaniel was not only without deceit, he was able to put two and two together very quickly. He realized that God is omniscient, and that experience that he had had was only that God knew, therefore I'm in the presence of God incarnate. So he responds in verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Correct. Because he was an Israelite without deceit, Nathaniel was prepared to come to know God, and when he saw Jesus' omniscience, he responded, believed, and turned to 180. And rapturously confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, all because he had received the reality of Jesus' omniscience, meaning all-knowing. So Jesus answered and responded to this confession and says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. Secondly, not only does God see each and every one of us, the vision that he gives to his people will be greater than we can ever imagine. Look at verse 50. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, he's saying, Nathaniel, you believe because you, you know that I saw you under a fig tree? Brother, you ain't seen nothing yet. Christ really takes the lid off in verse 51. And it's significant because he switches from the second person singular to the second person plural, making these words universal in meaning. Truly, truly, I say to y'all, y'all will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All of you will see this. And that statement took Nathaniel back 2,000 years to Genesis 28. You remember the story. We walked through Genesis together over an 11-year process, you know, just taking section by section. The story of Jacob, he stole his brother Esau's birthright. That was really Esau's fault. But he also stole the blessing, which was Jacob's conniving. So he left fearful of Esau's wrath, and at that point it seemed that his only friend was his mother, that was not surprising because he was a mama's boy. 
because Esau was an outdoorsman, but making such a sudden departure also meant he was not well prepared to travel. So the distance he traveled the first day was about 43 miles across the wilderness. Finally, at the day's end, he was worn out and he's tired. He came to this valley strewn with locks, rocks, excuse me. And in verse 11 of Genesis 28, the text says, And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. You know you're really tired when you can sleep on a rock or a pillow. Jacob's in terrible shape. He felt wretched and alone, as if he didn't have a friend in the world. But even in this tremendous loneliness out in the wilderness, God loved him. Scoundrel that he was, God loved him. So God came and comforted him with a vision, verse 12 of chapter 28, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending under it. Under that ominous Syrian sky, God gave Jacob a vision of encouragement. Look, Jacob, do you think you're all alone out here? There's a traffic jam between heaven and earth on your behalf. And let that comfort you. That was the dream Jesus referred to when he was speaking to Nathanael, though he mentioned no ladder. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so as we learned a few years back in Genesis 28, Jesus is that ladder. What a tremendous truth. The ladder is Christ. And Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything. As you enter the, into the full relationship with me, and as your spiritual vision is broadened, you're going to see swarming angels and hear the rustle of their wings as they move on that ladder between heaven and on earth for you. And this is exactly what happens in believers' lives today. We need to hold on to this and understand this and believe it until we can almost hear the rustling of angels' wings. Jesus' word brings into our lives the stunning reality that we're Jacob. What was that? Is that God is often closest to us when he seems most distant. Have you ever been out in the wilderness of life? Sleeping on a stone pillow, if you will. So that it seemed that God was very far away from you with what you're going through. We learn from Jacob's vision that God is active in our lives when we are in the wilderness. And we see that angels really do minister to us on our behalf. Hebrews 1.14 states, Are they angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? See, the heavenly hosts minister to us. 
And of course, sometimes even angels get a little curious about how we live and, and what it's like to be a human being, just like we're curious what it's like to be an angel. 1 Peter 1.12 says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you, things into which even angels long to look. They want to understand what is going on in this world. I love those medieval paintings with, you know, thousands of angels. They might be little baby angel cherub type things, I know, but it's just really cool. If our eyes could be open, sometimes we too would see sky full of angels. Missionary John Payton's experience was a repeat of what happened once in the Old Testament. Elisha and his servant were surrounded by the enemy. Elisha prayed surrounded uh, by the enemy, and Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be open. This is in 2 Kings 6, 14 and 17. Then his servant saw flaming chariots of fire and the armies of God all around. He saw the reality of ministering spirits. That same reality is ours, brothers and sisters. Someday we will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In Christ, we are brought very near to heaven. Hebrews 12, 22 states, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You see, all who are in Christ live in the suburbs of heaven at the current time. Paul writes in Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are fellow citizens with the saints who are already there. He writes in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's in the present tense. The ministry of angels, our heavenly citizenship, the closeness of heaven is ours right now. And Jesus also promises that we will continue to grow or implicit in Christ's words to Nathaniel. You will see greater things than these. We experience ongoing growth and increasing understanding of the heavenly realities around us as we grow in Christ. Like a certain woman who had lived a long, hard working life. She was so busy with her work, she never really got around very much. She never saw the ocean. But in the winter of her life, her family took her to the ocean. She looked out at this apparently boundless expanse. And she said, Thank you, Lord, that there is at least enough of something. Because her whole life, she had seen nothing. But there's enough of some things. When we apply that to what we are doing and where we are going to, and what we have in Jesus Christ when the heavens are opened, we too will say, thank God there is enough of something beyond what I see day by day. 
Jesus is infinite. And his infinite love will unfold for eternity. And we will always be surprised by him and in awe of him as we grow. As we keep growing into the knowledge of his love, his power, his mercy, his strength, his transcendence. All these things keep unfolding all the way into eternity. All these infinite ex experiences are bound up in Jesus' statement to Nathaniel and therefore to us. And Christ's words would make, be made relevant to us both the tragedy and the ecstasy of Jacob's life. And Jacob's response to the vision of the heavens opened and the angels. Because at the end of Genesis 28, verse 16, Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know. That's the tragedy of much American Christianity or professed Christianity, friends. We have so de-supernaturalized life to the extent that we do not even see God at work around us or in us. We, God is in this place, and we don't know it. We go to work, and we don't know it. We go to school, and we don't know it. And all the time, God is there. And we, like Jacob, don't even know. See, this mentality, if we allow it, will intrude into our lives, even in the church. We sing the great hymns. We pray together. We worship together. We come to communion together. But do we know he's here with us? He's in us by the Holy Spirit, but he's with us as we praise his name. And if we live not realizing that reality, tragically, our Christianity becomes empty and lifeless that is not interesting to the world or to us. On the other hand, there's an ecstasy of Jacob seen in those verses. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob realized the truth of these spiritual realities that Jesus is alluding to in John 1. And in verse 19, he said, he called the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. It's the house of God in the middle of nowhere. How wondrous it is to know that wherever we are is Bethel. And there is intercourse between heaven on earth on our behalf and the rustle of angels' wings in our lives. And what a difference it would make if we appropriate those spiritual realities. We believe it. But do we? May God help us to see it and appropriate it. So in conclusion, a couple questions for us this morning. Number one, are you a functional skeptic? Have you truly received Christ as Savior, Lord? And if you have, how have you grown these past 15, 10, 5 years, last year? Have you grown? Have you said to yourself, 
to yourself or to others, yeah, that's just the way I am. I had someone at Christ Church say that to me last year. I said, why don't you come join us at this little church? It's a, it's a wonderful group. We just like the folks in there. Why don't you come join us? I think you'll really enjoy it. He said, nah, Gene, that's not me. It's not who I am. Since when do we walk with God and stay as we are? We cannot go with God and stay where we are. It's impossible. Paul says you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, we're always changing, and to stay where you are is just pride. Just pride. Secondly, does Jesus ever surprise you? As you're spending time in his word, talking to people, revealing himself to you. Because when we do that, you are, like Nathaniel, surprised. And you grow. Because there's a promise if we will respond to him, we will begin to see the unseen. The heavens will be open. The angels of God ascending and descending upon our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Jesus, our ladder, has his feet firmly planted on the earth in his humanity and his blessed head in the heavens, and you can know that reality as you grow in him with us. And you can get it simply by praying with me, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. You can, you can, you can I know, say those words and, and not believe it. But if you do say them enthusiastically with a heart full of faith and grace will be poured into your life. And your life will become alive, dynamic, brilliant, exciting, effervescent, contagious. All because of Jesus Christ. For this is his business. He's in the business of transforming lives. Transforming them into his image. For his glory. And for our satisfaction. May God give us grace to receive the truth from his word, moving from a Nathaniel-like skepticism to surprise to full, complete confession of faith. Jesus, you are the Son of God, and you are my King. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this exciting word. You know us, you see us, and you call us to follow you. Lord, help us to do so this day. For you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And we will see you as you, we grow in you. Truly, the heavens open. And see things that are beyond our understanding and comprehension. And we'll grow in that all the way into eternity. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.